Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, well, UCL Roundup, uh, MLS Midweek Game Review, and Preview of the Weekend. Uh, The Americans are coming. U.S. men's national team roster drop, best U.S. jerseys and histories, anthrax, Burhalter's future, uh, future, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Wednesday, September 14th in the year 2022? I am doing well, and I have a fun few days ahead. I am flying to Ann Arbor. Uh, this Ooh. weekend, I will be attending a Michigan football game. Now, uh, who are they uh, playing this weekend? Uh, Sisters of the Poor again, or another, what's happening? Another tough non-conference game against UConn. Forty-six point favorite. The Huskies of UConn. Yeah. Uh, do they have a football team this year? They do. Yeah. Oh, well, good luck. Good luck on that. That's fun anyway. You get to go back to your alma mater. Um, do, do do you any old haunts that you go back to over there in Ann Arbor? Yeah, yeah, a couple spots. Yeah? yeah, yeah. Oh, this is great! Awesome. Well, I'm happy for you. That'll be uh, that'll be fun. Yeah, watch anything or see anything interesting in the last couple of days? Well, you know the Emmys. Uh, no, I don't. The Emmys happened. Uh, what happened? Uh, uh, it's almost as if they came and went, and nobody knew. Yeah, the big winners were Succession, White Lotus, and Ted Lasso. I'm not sure if this second season was worthy of it, but they really? cleaned up in terms of the awards. So yeah. that show is still very hot in the industry. They're, they're a media darling. They are uh, an Emmy darling, too, I would think, at this yep, point. Yep. You know, they, uh, they hit all the right chords over there. I mean, look, it's a very successful show, and I understand that. Um, anything else that you uh, read uh, or saw? I, I did watch the, um, the Anthrax Attacks. Do you know what this is? It's a documentary over there on Netflix. You know, I had mentioned uh, watching a bunch of uh, 9-11 documentaries, and almost at the exact same time, only a few days later, um, back, Back in two thousand and one, um, the <laughs> this anthrax thing happened. You remember that? Do you remember living through it? I do. Well, there's an incredible documentary that goes back in, and it it, it is it's sort of faded from memory. Um, and because it's so kind of tied to the nine eleven attacks, it sometimes gets uh, pushed aside. But it is a fascinating and you know ultimately kind of scary story. And it's actually revel- relevant today in in terms of what we just gone over the, through over the past couple of years and um, you know biotechnology and bio warfare and all those different things. So anyway, um, I do recommend it because it uh, it's a blast from the past, if you will, on a uh, you know a, a horrible subject, but also a, a fascinating subject. Uh, anything else before we light this candle? Because there's it. a lot to get to here. A lot has happened, even though it's only been a couple of days since we last talked to you. A lot has happened. You ready to go? Let's do it. All right. Where do you want to start? Uh, We have a U.S. men's national team roster to discuss. Get out of here. Really? Well, let's just let's just also bathe. Sometimes we can lose perspective. Right. Let's also bathe in the fact that we are living in a moment in history, my friend, where these drops that come from the U.S. men's national team are met with. One, as far as I can, I'm concerned, wonderful type of debate and controversy and back and forth. And let's be honest, there wasn't a there was a time not too long ago where that wasn't the case. So, uh, do you want to just kind of go through the uh, the 26 players that uh, Greg Berhalter has called? 
Sure. Okay. And these are for September friendlies against Japan and Saudi Arabia. We have the Saudi Arabia game. Yep. These are happening over in Europe. Keep in mind, they're, they're happening, happening over in Europe, Europe. So there's not that transatlantic return for many of the players that play on the team. And these are the last two games they'll play before the World Cup. We are 60 days, Mossy, uh, from this recording away from the day when pretty much all of the players will be getting on planes and heading, I guess, to either Doha or someplace just outside of Doha to uh to get ready for the world cup so it's coming it's coming fast and this is i think this is an important roster uh for the chances of all of the players to be on that plane uh ultimately all right goalkeeper let's start a goalkeeper right that's a good place to start ethan, uh, you want to do it go ahead oh, no you go no ahead. no my friend <laughs> go ahead do it ethan horvath sean johnson matt turner wait a second hold on a second there's somebody missing there who's missing uh zach stefan injured oh he is injured. Um, that in and of itself is not necessarily a surprise. We know that, unfortunately, for Zach Stephanie has had problems now for a number of years, even dating back to when he was in the in the Bundesliga. So that's a problem. That's a problem for him. I, I guess it's a problem for the national team in that I think that if everybody was healthy, there's a good chance that he's the starting the starting goalkeeper. I don't think that this necessarily keeps him off the plane unless those injuries continue on. So I think there's a real question right now from a health perspective, whether Zach Steffen is going to be on the plane. As long as he is fit, and I even say just fit because even if he's fit, he still might not even be starting <laughs> right, right now. So, so that's interesting. I think right now then, it's Matt Turner that's gonna be starting against Wales. And keep in mind, he is still <laughs> uh, not getting a lot of games and so, who do you think plays in these two games? Do you think he just gives Matt Turner as much time as possible? Yeah, I mean, if you assume Stefan, if he's healthy, will pop back in, and Turner is definitely going to the World Cup. So essentially, Horvath and Johnson are competing for that last spot. It, it is interesting. There's an American starting Champions League games for Maccabi Haifa, Josh Cohen. We'll talk about the Champions League in a bit. And someone brought up his name to Greg Berhalter, and they preface the question by saying, well, with the goalkeeper situation unsettled, would you maybe take a look at this kid? And Berhalter shot back and said, I don't think our goalkeeper situation is unsettled at all, uh, which some people were surprised at that quote. I mean, just taking a step back overall, do you feel good about the U.S.'s goalkeeper situation right yes. now? Yes. It's, it's, never, it's never been a problem for me. The only, and it's not even a problem, I think the only challenge or the 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 discussion point when it comes to the goalkeeper is ultimately who is going to start. And maybe that's a problem from a dynamic internally, but I don't think that it's going to one way or the other change anything, regardless of uh, who is ultimately starting, even if it's Horvath or Johnson or Turner. But I do think right now it's going, it's going to be Turner. And I think to, to Greg's point, He's got much bigger fish to fry in terms of challenges out there. So to answer your previous question, uh, Matt Turner will definitely start one of the games. It'll be interesting to see if either Horvath or Johnson starts the other, and then we get some clue of what the pecking order is between those two. I guess. Uh, I mean, if Matt Turner was playing consistently, then, and look, a, a national team isn't where you should be getting minutes, but the reality is, if he's your number one, I, I think you feed him. Start him both games. Yeah, start him and play him the entire time. Uh, I mean, maybe you give a half or a period of the second half of the second game to to Sean Johnson at this uh, at this point going forward. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get into the the meat of it here. Uh, right. Defenders, defenders: Reggie Cannon, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Serginho Dest, Aaron Long, 
Chris Richards, Joe Scally, Sam Vines, DeAndre Yedlin, and Walker Zimmerman. Okay. <sighs> All right. <laughs> so, you know, Sam Vines, who actually we've been talking about for a number of years, I think he's got a real opportunity here. And there will be some players here that are really looking at this as, hey, if I show well, I can kind of come in at the last minute and really turn some heads. Sam Vines and Joe Scally, I think, are the two ones. Right? And we should mention another player who's out due to injury who will definitely be in Qatar is Anthony Robinson. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people are framing it as if uh, Joe Scally and Sam Vines are competing against each other for that backup left back spot. I wonder if they both show well in this camp. Is there a world in which somebody like Reggie Cannon drops out and it becomes... You know, uh, Robinson and Vines on the left, Destin Yedlin on the right, and then Joe Scally is sort of that extra guy that can play on the right or the left. So I think so. I mean, I well, we'll get to more bigger picture t talk about this camp here, but I do think the four center backs are set. It's just a question of which one is going to start alongside Zimmerman. But I know there was some thought that Tim Ree might get a call. Some people still holding out hope for John Brooks. I, I think these are the four. And it's just a question of uh, which of, and I really don't see a world in which Carter Vickers starts no. in the World Cup. So I think, I think it's, it's between Long and Richards. Absolutely. So. I agree with you there. But there is a, a discussion to be had, and there is some real sentiment um, and concern amongst fans out there that starting Zimmerman and Long, which I think is going to be the pairing, is, is problematic. You know, part of the problem there and the challenge there is Chris Richards certainly has a greater upside, but he's he's still not playing a lot, and he's still, let's see, what what is he? Eight caps. Now, this is a young team. We all, under, uh, all understand that right now. I just think that from Greg Berhalter's perspective, I think he thinks that while Aaron Long isn't, you know, a, an incredibly fast player, he's also not slow, and I think he's deceptive in terms of his speed, and I think that, but I do think that who he pairs in these next two games is going to be really interesting to see and I think might tell a lot. Uh, the midfield, I think these are going to be the six at the World Cup. I also think this possession is, this position is pretty settled. Uh, Kellen Acosta, Tyler Adams, Luca De La Torre, Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, and Malik Tillman. Yeah, I mean, I think that someone like Christian Roldan might have a say uh, because, you know, again, and I, I'll... I'll remind everybody, and I've said this before, a national team is not about the best players. It's about the best collection of players. And I think Greg Berhalter has gone out of his way this week, including today when he talked to the press, of making sure that everybody understands that that, that group and the dynamic that has been cultivated uh, and fostered over this last cycle to him is much more important than just somebody popping up and doing, and, and doing well. And I know that that, that that irritates some some people. And I think that's, that's I mean, at, at times I can be irritated. It's, it's okay to be irritated. But ultimately, these are human beings. And these are human beings with baggage uh, and histories and biases that are going to ultimately make this decision about what they think is the best possible group. And there will be things with, within that consideration that we know nothing about but could be incredibly important in ultimately how successful this campaign is or not. You know, it's interesting. Most people highlighted three players that are only absent due to injury who would have otherwise definitely been on the list. Uh, Stefan, Anthony Robinson, and Timothy Ware, that we're going to get to. But uh, the great Doug McIntyre wrote a piece today analyzing this list. Everybody should check it out. 
And he included Roldan. He said there are four. And and yeah, the more I think about it, I think he could get in there. So I maybe think so. maybe the midfield isn't totally settled. Um, and then forwards, as I mentioned, Timothy went not on the list due to injury, but we expect he'd be back in uh, when he's healthy. Uh, Brendan Aronson, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, Jordan Morris, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, and Josh Sargent, who Ooh, scored again today. Yes, he did. The mutant gene is flying. Yeah, he scored for Norwich against Bristol City in the championship. Exactly. Uh, he gets, in my view, a very well-deserved call. Uh, you know, we you, you mentioned this. We project this air of finality to this mm-hmm. uh, last list before the World Cup one. And managers, they tend to push back on that. They say, no, I'm going to keep an open mind until the end. I would say the center forward position is one where I do believe Berhalter on that. Now, I do think the door closed for Brandon Vasquez today because he's not going to take to the World Cup a player yeah. that he hasn't called up once. But I don't think it closed for PFOC. I could see a world... I, I think he wants to get a look at Sargent to see if what he's doing at Norwich translates to the national team. He wants to give Ricardo Pepe one, one more chance to make a case for himself. But if either of those guys struggles in this camp and struggles at club level between now and November and PFOC keeps scoring in the Bundesliga, I could see PFOC getting a spot over one of those two. You don't yeah, buy it? Yeah, I, I guess. But, you know, you mentioned that um, Josh Sargent is well-deserved. It's not about what you deserve. A national team is not a meritocracy, okay? If it was about what you deserved or if it was a meritocracy, Ricardo Pepe would never even get one foot on the plane, okay? The... the <laughs> it's it, it is going to be interesting to see because the way that it was framed today in the press that uh, Greg Berhalter did was like you said that this is not the finals 26 and that's completely legitimate but it but it was also framed as if there were these players that aren't there that aren't injured take out the players that are injured but the players that aren't there If you did not get called into this camp, the final camp, the final two games, and as I said, 60 days before you have to be on a plane to Qatar, that's bad. That's not good. We do not have players that are so good that Greg Berhalter and his staff just call them and say, hey, listen, take some time off. Just relax. You're going to be there. You're a starter and all that kind of stuff. And certainly nobody that's not here even comes close to that right now. So the the way that he framed it as if, that them not being here is to give opportunities to others. Are you kidding me? If I was one of those players that was not there, you're not there because they don't think you're good enough to be there. If you were good enough, you would be there. And if I was one of those players that was left off and, and this explanation came out, I'd be pissed. I'm giving up my spot so you can take a look at somebody else Oh, by the way, apart from one of the guys that wasn't called, Brendan Vasquez, players that you've seen before, that you know who they are, and now they've suddenly changed? I, I, I don't buy that. I get why Greg Berhalter uh, has done that but, and, and why he says that, but come on. Come on, man. In terms of notable omissions, we mentioned Pifok and Vasquez up top, uh, Reem and Brooks at the back. James Sands... We all kind of thought, you know, with his versatility, maybe one of those last extra spots would go to him. Now, mind you, this is not the best day to sing his praises. We'll talk about the Champions League in a minute. Right. And frankly, the last few games for him haven't been all that great. But before that, he was playing well for Rangers. Uh, were you surprised James Sands not on the list? 
Well, according to Greg, he could be on the list. It's just he's, he's giving up his spot for somebody else so they can assess it. Remember, Greg went to Glasgow to watch the old yeah. Derby and then yeah. went out to dinner afterwards with all three of them, Carter Vickers, I think Tillman, this, and Sands. That I, must have been an awkward dinner when he told uh, Sands that, hey, you're not going, but the other two are. You know, you know I love Greg Berhalter, and I, as the kids say, stand for him. Um, but I think it's a lot of lip, lip service. I think that it's performance ultimately that Greg is doing. And I get it. You, you kind of have to do it in that, in, in that position. I think Greg has made up his mind about a lot of these, a, a lot of players when it, uh, when it comes to, you know, the list. So if you had to guess, uh, the only change is going to be plugging the three injured players back in or four, if you include Roldan. Uh, yeah. I mean, so Stefan, if he's healthy, would get either Horvath or Johnson's spot. Yeah. I mean, injuries and health, obviously, that changes the the equation. Yeah. Anthony Robinson gets one of the fullbacks spots that are on this list. Um, and obviously, Timothy Way, if you plug him back under this current roster construction, then I guess you would have to lose one of uh, Jordan Morris, Ariola, or somebody like that. I think it might be back between those two guys there. I do think that, as you said, Christian Roldan has is, is made his case. And, and anybody that you talk to, whether it's publicly or privately, any player, any staff, they do not have a bad word to say. And again, this team is built on youth. And I do think that Greg Berhalter and his staff have almost at times gone out of the way to cultivate a young team. And even maybe throwing out players that might be good, but because they're from a different age group and therefore have a different type of dynamic. So at some point, somebody has to be a leader behind the scenes and also be good with the fact that they're probably not going to play a whole lot. Although I will say this, I know it's, we've gone to 26. The most successful run that the U.S. ever had in the World Cup back in 2002, I'm not mistaken, almost every single player was used. Now, I know back then it was 22 players and now we're at, uh, or 23 players and now we're at, at 26. But just be, nobody's going there as a mascot, including Christian Roldan. So don't be don't be surprised if he and others that you kind of said are just along for the ride actually play a part on the field. A random question. Yeah. Uh, today we have social media, Twitter, et cetera. Back in 94, how did you find out when you got called up for the World Cup squad? I found out that I made the World Cup squad in Laguna Niguel in a parking lot. Um, it was brutal, Masi. It was brutal because the final cuts were made. So you didn't find out you made the team, but you find out you 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 found out who wasn't part of the team, and in that parking lot that happened. And so I, because I was not one of those cuts, drove back knowing that I was going to be part of the twenty-two. It was ruthless and it was cutthroat. And while it was painful, um, there was an element of survival of the fittest. And so I, I kind of dug it. <laughs> Not that, and I didn't dig people getting cut and, you know, not realizing their dream in that moment, but there was a, there was an element of, like I said, ferocity and ruthlessness there that I did kind of dig. Um, all right. So I, I, can we talk about Brandon Vasquez? So Greg Berhalter today obviously was asked about the situation. You know, I made my feelings very, very clear. I do think that the Brandon Vasquez situation is is unique. You know, I mentioned that there were players that are not there because maybe he's taking a look at others. But all of those players that we're talking about, we've seen them at some point. Maybe not a lot, but we at times we have seen them. So they have been in that 
in that environment that Greg Berhalter talks so much about. Brandon Vasquez is unique that he has never been with the national team. And Greg Berhalter said it's difficult for him, Brandon Vasquez, because he doesn't have a body of work with the U.S. men's national team. Well, no shit, because he's never been in with the national team. So there's no way for him to have that. And again, it's specific to position because I'm not having this debate with other positions because it's pretty much defined and I'm hard pressed to find others that are better than what we have in those positions. I'm not saying you can't find debate here, but when it comes to that specific number nine position, Greg Berhalter may say, we don't have a problem when it comes to the goalkeeping position, but you bet your ass when we're talking about the number nine position that I don't, he wouldn't call it a problem, but that's a totally different conversation. And that's why I think that Brandon, uh, uh, Brandon Vasquez should be called in, should have been called in here. Now, what's he going to do? He's going to go back to uh, Cincinnati. Maybe he's going to continue scoring goals. He's still not going to have a body of work, no matter how many goals he scores, no matter how well he plays, he's not going to have a body of work for the U.S. men's national team. So he's screwed in that sense. He can't get a body of work until you get called into the national team. But if, if a body of work is necessary to get called into the national team, then what are we doing here? Yeah, there is some circular logic yes, in play there. Yeah, yes. uh, it is worth noting, when we interviewed Brandon Vasquez recently, I asked him if Mexico called him up first, would he play for Mexico? And he intimated that, yes, he probably would. Let's take a step back now and just look at what Greg Berhalter has done with this roster here. I, I really think that this, this roster here illuminates the fact that Greg Berhalter is going to dance with the ones that brung him. Okay, And I, I actually have a respect for that. I think that that he puts so much credence and value in totality, all of the work that has gone in and all of the ups and downs and twists and turns that have come. And sometimes we're prisoners of the moment. I, I, I get that. But he looks at it in a very different way. I, I, I think that is good. And I can, like I said, I can certainly respect that, um, that he values the dynamic uh, that he has, like I said, cultivated over this cycle. But I do still think when it comes specifically to Vasquez, that it's a mistake to not at least take a look at him now. Because people say, well, there's a camp coming up in October. Yes, but that's not a full camp. And so that's not going to be a body of work with the national team either. <laughs> because this was the moment to bring in when everybody is together. You needed to be in this camp, I think, to have a real decent chance of going to Qatar. I will say, to end on a happy note, Sure, you plug Timothy Wynn and Anthony Robinson back into this list. You take a step back, you look at it. It's a talented squad. I mean, you see all the names. Reyna, Aronson, Pulisic, McKinney, oh, that's Adams, beyond, Musa. Yeah, that's beyond debate yeah, that it's, yeah. it's talented. What the debate is, is like champagne problems, right? Who's ultimately going to start? Um, where are these players going to play? Who is the best position, uh, yeah. best for that position? Yeah, there are teams that are very talented in the middle portions of the field, but are weak in both boxes, and it can come back to bite them. And I wonder about the U.S. shaky center forward situation, questionable center back situation, who's going to partner Zimmerman if you have a rusty Matt Turner goal. You know, you, you could see a scenario where the U.S. plays well in guitar, but they're sort of, they pay the price for, like I said, not being great in both boxes. I just got to say, I love this. I love that everybody's, including myself, we're getting so excited and you know, hot and bothered about all this. It, it, it means the World Cup's coming. And I, it just, I'm so excited. I'm so excited about this. And to your point, I'm excited about a World Cup featuring this team. Is it, is it perfect? Absolutely not. Does it have flaws? 
Yeah. But number one, we're back, baby. And we weren't there four years ago. And that means something. And that's something to celebrate initially. But two, we're back with a team that's really, really interesting and really, really good, really, really young, really, really inexperienced uh, with plenty of depth. And still plenty of questions for us to talk about. So, all right, anything more on the uh, the roster here? As you mentioned, uh, against uh, Saudi Arabia and Japan, right? Which one are we doing? Uh, Saudi Arabia. We're doing the Saudi Arabia again. That's going to be fun. This window is going to be fun, especially, you know, we talked about the on the uh, pod earlier in the week about the preparation, the research that's going on, to be able to see some of these teams and to see some of these players as we get closer and closer to the World Cup in their, I guess, their natural setting is... Uh, is pretty cool. All right, what do you want to go to now? Uh, match day two of the UEFA Champions League. Yes. All right, so where do you want to start? All sorts of action. We come we come to you here in the uh, Fox Studios, and it's the a- afternoon, so it's been a few hours since uh, all the results have come through. Uh, do you want to start with the uh, Tuesday results and then go into the Wednesday results? That seems yeah. right. Let's or- go early Tuesday. Okay. Sporting with a 2-0 win over Tottenham mm. in Lisbon. Both goals very late. Uh, Paulinho and Arto Gomez. Uh, a couple thoughts on this one. For as long as I've been watching this game, you see a Portuguese team playing in Europe and they have some dazzling number 10 breaking ankles all over the field. Right. You would assume he's Brazilian. Uh, so it was quite disorienting to see that Marcus Edwards is actually English. It wasn't Marcus Edginho, <laughs> but what a player. You know, the story, he's a former Tottenham Academy product that Pochettino once compared to Lionel Messi. And uh, for whatever reason, didn't work out for him at Tottenham. And now he's found his way to Portugal. He's playing with sporting and he comes back to haunt um, his former club. He didn't score, but... Uh, that run late in the first half is one of the great plays. That, that was like Maradona against England right? in 86. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, he, is, he is taking the road less traveled. And sometimes, as we know, that can make uh, all the difference in the world. But it also highlights how, as these mega clubs, super clubs, obviously big clubs, continue to crank out talent, there's only so much that they can use. And we all know that people develop at different paces and in different ways and some are much more able to uh, to realize their full talent in different types of environments and so you got to be careful that you're not the architect of your own demise and the second goal was scored by a brazilian arthur gomez also what an incredible run the nutmeg the step over terry Henry really liked that goal that was something because it probably reminded him of himself not exactly because it's terry terry so you know um, then, uh, later on Tuesday, um, let me do Liverpool first. Okay. Uh, they beat Ajax 2-1. Mo Salah scored early. This young, really talented striker on Ajax, Kudus, equalized. And then Joel Matip with a header late that barely crossed the line. Liverpool get a much-needed 2-1 victory. So Kudus, exciting, right? Yeah. Uh, we, well, we're going to see him in uh, Qatar? Uh, with uh, Ghana? Hmm? Yeah, yeah, I think we might. Let's yeah. hope. Let's hope. Maybe you know, a young young one to watch, right? Random digression here. Okay. A lot of the buildup to this game centered on how Liverpool fans would comport themselves during the moment of silence for the Queen. And I was sort of vaguely aware that there was an issue there, but I wanted to understand more about the context. So in the last 24 hours, I did this massive deep dive. I read about 10 different articles. I was texting with Keith Costigan about it, trying to understand the animosity that the city of Liverpool feels towards the English establishment, you know, from the... 
economic issues in the 80s, Margaret Thatcher, the lack of government support to Hillsborough, to even the roots of it being in how much uh, Irish roots are in that city. 75% of the population has Irish ancestry. Mm. During the famine, there was this whole migration of Irish people to the city of Liverpool. And so they almost consider themselves more Irish than English. For whatever reason, I became fascinated by this in the last 24 hours. I did not become fascinated by this. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, uh, yeah, this is the hill you want to die on. I mean, come on, <laughs> just have, have some respect and just be quiet for a couple seconds. Which, to be fair, they they were. Yeah, I think, exactly, you know, the, exactly. uh, so Liverpool get the win there. The marquee fixture on Tuesday: uh, Bayern uh, two 0 winners over Barcelona in Munich. Uh, both goals coming early in the second half, just a few minutes apart. Uh, Lucas Hernandez from a corner, and then uh, Leroy Sané. Uh, I, I will just say that we have seen t- over the years coaches come out and say that the the score does not reflect the actual play on the game, and to to hear Xavi come out after and say that, um, in this case, I think he's actually right. I agree. Up until Bayern scored their goals, I thought Barcelona was the better team, creating the better chances. Lewandowski, it's amazing to well, say that's this. that's irony, right? I mean, yeah, it's amazing to say this about a player of his pedigree, but he seemed nervous facing his former club because he missed chances that he normally doesn't miss and let Bayern off the hook. And then Bayern got their two goals. Even afterwards, Barcelona had an incredible chance with Pedri. Uh, but then I did think they faded down the stretch and Bayern saw out the game yeah. fairly comfortably. Uh, so very satisfying win for them. You know, the Lewandowski thing it wasn't the most contentious departure i've ever seen but it also wasn't hunky dory there were some bad feelings there so i'm sure they enjoyed beating their former player and look as as mature and experienced a player Lewandowski is this is still kind of a, a big thing and a new thing and so I, I i can i can understand a little bit of you know trepidation but ultimately you're a goal scorer you should be able to click back into form and he had a bunch of opportunities um Three uh, young players involved in this game that I think are really players to watch in Qatar. Um, Alfonso Davies was sensational. I mean, early in that game, he absolutely destroyed Rafinha. And then when they moved Dembele to that wing, Dembele didn't have any success against them either. I mean, we know about his runs forward, but defensively too. I mean, he he is just, when he's his on his game, his closing speed is ridiculous. He's an incredible it's, player. It's ridiculous. Um, Pedri, who I mentioned, even, even in a losing effort, I thought was sensational. And he's going to be running that Spanish midfield. What a player he is. And then this Jamal Musiala, uh, Bayern midfielder, plays for Germany, I thought was incredible as well. You know, he doesn't get as much pub over there in the Bundesliga as some of the young starlets maybe in La Liga or the Premier League, but man, he belongs in any conversation, best young midfielders in the world. So yeah, there's some really exciting young players in this game that I think are going to be in Qatar. All right, what else? Um, you want to move on to Wednesday or yeah, I mean, anything else you want to you know, Only a couple minor things. Leverkusen beat Atletico Madrid 2-0. That was pretty interesting. And then Bruges, 4-0 winners away to Porto. Two wins out of two for Bruges. They're emerging as an early Cinderella here in this season's Champions League. Uh, we move on to uh, early Wednesday. Um, Serginho Des came on late in AC Milan's 3-1 win over Dinamo Zagreb. And I'm going to link that to Chelsea's game. Uh, Chelsea held to a 1-1 draw at home by Salzburg. Christian Pulisic didn't come on until the 85th minute of this game. It's far too early to render any judgment on Sergino Dessa's move to AC Milan or what life will be like for Christian Pulisic under Graham Potter. But some of that early euphoria from the grass is greener crowd that thought, oh, Tuchel's gone, trouble's over for Pulisic, or Dessa's out of Barcelona, trouble's over for him. We're seeing that it's not that simple. Well, I mean, I don't, he hasn't had a lot of time no, no, with, of course. with Potter. <laughs> I, I will say, I mean, Serginho Dest, when he came in, 
um, he came in much more as a right-sided midfield attacking type of player there too. So that's that's going to be interesting because we've talked about how you know he might be used in different ways uh, for uh, for AC Milan. So at least he's on the field, and that's that's a much more positive type of situation than Christian Pulisic, who after all of this craziness just gets a couple minutes uh, at the end. So who knows? He might find himself right back where we started. And if if that's the case, then it... Because I think the sympathy at times has been for Christian Pulisic and he's just... He's not been treated fairly. Not by everybody, but by a lot of people out there. But if you start to have multiple uh, coaches that aren't favoring you, and and two very different types of coaches, then that could be a problem. And Raheem, Raheem Sterling scored Chelsea's goal in that one, but Salzburg equalized later on, so it finished 1-1 at Stamford Bridge. Um, Wesson McKinney... That's not a good result, by the way. No, no, not a good result at all. Only one point from two games. Remember, they yep. lost to yep. uh, Dinamo Zagreb. Uh, Wesson McKinney played all 90 minutes for Juve, but they suffer a 2-1 home defeat to Benfica. A lot of talk that Allegri could be in some real trouble there. I mean, in the normal type of situation, uh, you know, I was... Who, who I was listening to coming in, uh, coming into work here. I think Tony and uh, Janusz over there at Sirius XM, and I think both of them, uh, Janusz Mihalik and Tony Miola, uh, both of them were like, "This should be gone," and they're absolutely right. In in the normal type of circumstance, this would be a bridge too far, and there's there's a problem. You have to make you have to make a change. I mean, this is this is a bad result in the midst of what a lot of people feel is a Juventus team that has fallen to mediocre levels. And the way in which it came and just the, the lack of cohesion uh, on the field. Now, you got to pay them off and there's a big buyout type of uh, fee. So, I mean, it's still Juventus. They got plenty of money, but it's still a chunk of money. And he's still a good coach. He just might be a good coach that's not right for the moment right now when it comes to what Juventus needs. Uh, I might have buried the lead here as far as Wednesday's game. Wouldn't be the first time. We, Go ahead. we, we talked about Lewandowski facing his former club on Tuesday. Erlen Holland faced his former team. No, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. On Wednesday. We're teasing it. Manchester City uh, come from behind to beat Dortmund 2-1. Dortmund took lead through Jude Bellingham, who is yet another young player. I'm excited to watch the World Cup. The U.S. is going to have to contend with him on November 25th. Road less traveled. Yep. Um, and John Stones equalized late. And then Erlen Holland with a sensational acrobatic goal, reminiscent of a famous goal Johan Cruyff scored for Barcelona in the 70s. Pep referenced that in interviews afterwards. He obviously worships Johan Cruyff. But, I mean, to see a guy that size, to be able to go and snatch at that ball. Did you... Th- you thought it was more reminiscent of a Cruyff goal? Because I thought it was... Zlatan. I thought it was Zlatan-esque. I, I mean, I, Zlatan... Uh, well, first off, Zlatan will tell you how much he's into martial arts and all that kind of stuff. But we've seen him plenty of times do kicks that are un, unconventional in the way that he goes about it. I, I there, was ne- there was never a point where I equated the two more closely than seeing that goal today. And keep in mind that it comes, it should be said, at a moment, either it was yesterday or today, where Zlatan said, when I find somebody that physically is of my stature, then I will know it's time to retire. This is a Zlatan that we are looking at in Erlen Holland, in the things that he can do, in the way that he does things. In, despite his size, the control and the grace that he has, Zlatan, that's what you were, maybe at times still are, but this is, this is the new model. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I mentioned an American started in goal for Maccabi Haifa today against PSG. Maccabi Haifa actually took the lead in this game, but ended up losing 3-1 because Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar all scored in succession. So PSG, 3-1 winners away to Maccabi Haifa. Well, there was a moment there when everyone was excited. Uh, and still, I think that Maccabi Haifa comes out of it looking looking good. But, you know, it's PSG. and You expect them to win. You expect them to win comfortably, which they did despite the first 20 minutes. And you expect the stars to show up, which they did. And all three stars scored. So I don't think there's any way of looking at this as anything other than a comfortable and expected win. And then last, last game, the defending champs, Real Madrid, very labored today. Benzema's out injured. They started Rodrigo as a false nine. Didn't really work. They struggled against Leipzig at home, but two late goals, Valverde and Asensio, they take it 2-0, so Real Madrid rolls on. Let me ask you something. I was talking to my brother, and we were watching the game today, and he asked me about the, and this is off the field, but the construction that is going on in, in Madrid for that stadium. Do we have a timetable on when the tarps are going to be gone and when this whole thing is, is going to be done? Because it's still... It's still lacking, lacking the uh, the feeling over there when it comes to the environment that that once was created. And I'm not saying that it, it necessarily hurts it from a player perspective or or even from a viewing perspective, but from a TV perspective, it's it's still uh, it, it's still COVID esque type of. Viewing. It feels like these construction jobs in New York City, there are like subway stations that I've been hearing about for decades. Right. Be or the big dig City. up there in, uh, <laughs> in Boston. <laughs> um, uh, some uh, midweek MLS action. We want to hit a couple of big games uh, Tuesday night in the West. Uh, Minnesota LAFC finished 1-1. Uh, the Loons took the lead with Kalman and then Carlos Vela with a sensational strike to equalize. Uh, Gareth Bale started this game, came out after 60 minutes. Another underwhelming performance. Your thoughts? I mean, look, a, an underwhelming performance both from the Loons and from LAFC, if you really have to look at it, because both of them are kind of desperate to... I mean, I'm not saying necessarily desperate for for points, um, but I think they're desperate for a a good performance that they can feel good about. And I think both of these teams leave this game feeling like, eh. Uh, you know, I still think... I mean, it's, they're not out of the woods when it comes to Minnesota relative to the playoffs, but I think they're going to be they're going to be okay. Their bigger problem is is they're limping into the playoffs. And LAFC, we know that they're going to be fine, although they might have lost the uh, uh, supporter shield, but they just look all over the place. And Bale still, it's it's not happening. You know, Carlos Vela. I mean, just purely from a optics perspective, just doesn't look right physically. So Steve Tarandolo, uh <laughs> better get it together because the playoffs are coming fast. You know, I don't think the Madrid media was uh, totally fair to bail, so I'm definitely not on that side no, no, of it. No, no. But I do think lots of people outside of Madrid went way too far in the other direction and were way too pro-bail in the way they depicted that whole situation. And some of those chickens are coming home to roost now because I remember a lot of tweets from MLS folk mocking the suggestion that there was any question about Gareth Bale's form. No, everything's fine. It was just this vendetta the Madrid media had. It was all petty stuff because he didn't speak Spanish or play too much golf. Trust me, different environment. He's going to be as good as always. And we're now seeing that now there maybe <laughs> there was an issue the last couple and, of years. And, you know, the, the goal that he scored right off the bat when he came to the league, everyone was like, oh, it's great. And he's, he's turned a corner. I, I mean, the the big part of this whole conversation is that you know, he's leading Wales to the World Cup. And is there a, 
a switch that he is able to flick personally or through his national team because of the honor and the pride that he feels because that's hard man when you when you reach for that switch and it's not there that can be that can be a problem for him and for his country the other big game Tuesday night, Inter-Miami beat Columbus 2-1. Uh, lengthy weather delay in this one. Um, Gonzalo going with both goals for Inter-Miami. Cucho scored for Columbus. You know, we, we praised Phil Neville earlier this season for having the guts to bench Gonzalo Higuain, but now he's having to rely on him again. Eight goals in the last nine games. He's been terrific. It's He's been wonderful. And a two-and-a-half-hour rain delay. I, I'm told that that's the fifth rain delay that this team has had. Because every time I turn into Inter-Miami playing down there in, uh, not Miami, in uh, in Fort Lauderdale over there, there seems to be a uh, a weather delay. And that's not easy for any of the players on either side. But more importantly, that was a huge goal, but it was a huge, huge three points. Because that's still that you're saying there's a chance? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's more than a chance. Miami now sitting, uh, just so you know, at 39 points. Chasing Columbus at 41 points uh, and both equal on games played at 30 games played. And by the way, Cincinnati's just at, at 42. So all to play for when it comes to the, uh, the Eastern Conference. All right. We should mention that uh, we were recording this on Wednesday. There are games in progress when it comes to Major League Soccer, including Orlando uh, hosting Atlanta. There's some games later on tonight uh, with Austin and RSL and Colorado hosting San Jose, and then I think Vancouver hosting the LA Galaxy. So some some big results will have happened by the time that you are listening to this. Also, uh, Campiones Cup, is that what we're calling it uh, over there? Uh, with NYCFC and Atlas happening right now. It's in the 10th minute. And NYCFC already up 1-0. So we'll see if they can hold on and become the CONCACAF champions going forward. All right, uh, got anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, well, we'll spin it forward. Look what's coming in the weekend. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're back. Uh, let's take a look through the weekend. Mossy, shall we? What are, what are you looking forward to here? Uh, in MLS, we've got NYCFC against the Red Bulls, the Derby, NYCFC desperate for a win. Yeah, I mean, and there's, you know, we talked about LAFC and we talked about the, the loons. NYCFC are really... Uh, right now. They just cannot get it right from an MLS perspective, and so they will be desperate. And we'll see whether New York is red or whether New York is blue. Pigeons versus bulls. Uh, New England, Montreal, this is an absolute must win for the Revs, I think, if they want to get in the playoffs. And even then, I mean, it, it's... It, you, you got the feeling this past weekend that for, uh, that for Bruce Serena and company, it's just it's just not happening. But I mean, if they were to win this, eh, I guess I guess they could say it is happening. But uh, chances are that this is it's not going to be happening for the New England Revolution this year, which is amazing considering how good they were last year. Uh, Austin, Nashville, assuming they both play. I know Drews has been battling some knee issues recently. Uh, this would be another MVP showdown. The return, right? Yeah. Uh, the return. And, and Nashville and Mukhtar got the best of Austin last time. We'll see if turnaround is fair play. Uh, Columbus-Portland is an interesting game. Uh, both teams fighting to hold on to playoff spots in their respective conferences. Yep. Uh, even though Columbus right now sits in a playoff position, I think that Caleb Porter is under a tremendous amount of uh, pressure given the, the talent that he has and you know the promise that he brings wherever, wherever he goes. So again, we talk about that 
that desperation. Uh, who, wait, who'd you say uh, Columbus is playing? Portland. Oh, that's right. Yes. I think Portland and Giovanni Savarese are sitting much prettier right now uh, and much more comfortable, whether it's Giovanni Savarese particular on his seat. I think, as I said, Caleb Porter's seat is much hotter. Can I give you a couple of Europe games I yeah. on this weekend? What do you got? Um, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid in the Derby. Uh, it's unclear if Benzema will play. If he doesn't play, that's obviously a big miss for Real Madrid. We'll see who they start in that center forward spot, whether it's Hazard or Rodrigo or Mariano or somebody else. Um, in Italy, you've got um, AC Milan against Napoli. Napoli off to an incredible start this season. They're a top table in Serie A and two wins out of two in the Champions League. We didn't even mention their game, uh, but they beat Rangers today, benefiting from a James Sands red card early in the second half. Uh, 3-0 away to Rangers there. So, uh, yeah, Napoli is so much fun to watch. Varaskelia and others, I mean, putting on a show. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see them match up against AC Milan. What, you got something on that no, one? No, no. And then last one I want to mention is Dortmund-Schalke, which, you know, Bayern-Dortmund is the glamour fixture in Germany, but Dortmund-Schalke is the fiercest rivalry, the Revier Derby. Uh, we covered the Bundesliga for five seasons. Probably the craziest game we ever did was a Dortmund-Schalke in which Dortmund raced out to a 4-0 lead and Schalke came back and equalized. It ended 4-4. I can still remember Keith Kosigan's iconic call of Naldo's late equalizer. <laughs> uh, uh, Peter Bosch looking completely despondent on the Dortmund bench. So, yeah, another chapter in that rivalry this weekend. Uh, there are some games that are postponed when it comes to the EPL, but the EPL games are happening. Anything uh, tickle your fancy uh, when it comes to the EPL? Uh, not really, to be honest. Yeah. The, the two games we would have highlighted here, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Manchester United Leeds are two that got postponed. So, yeah. so <laughs> I mean, it, uh, there's uh, if there is any type of silver lining from a, similar, silver lining from a, uh, a, a coaching perspective, it's, it's some time. It's some time to, to work with your team and get them ready for when it all picks up. But well, as we mentioned in the uh, pod earlier in the week, they're going to have to put all these games somewhere. <laughs> well, well, we'll get to what a con congested schedule actually is later on in the pod. Uh, anything else, Masi? That's it. All right. Uh, let's take another break, shall we? And when we come back, oh, it's time for Ask Alexi. Yeah, don't go anywhere. All right, we're back, and it's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show when uh, we read off your questions, comments, concerns. You've gotten to us on social media. Use that hashtag, Ask Alexi, uh, on all the different platforms that we have out there. And a reminder that uh, when it comes to those platforms, the, uh, what do they call those? Uh, the, uh, the handles, Mossy, S-O-T-U with Alexi. And the reminder of our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. Now, my listeners uh, and all of our folks that are either listening or watching, we like to give you a peek behind the curtain. We like to be honest with you. We, we have talked about the hotline now for a number of weeks here. And if you listen closely, we haven't had a call in a while. We had some te technical difficulties when it comes to the hotline. But I can assure you that... Happy days are here again. The hotline is fully functional and we are going to continue to use it. And so if, if you did leave a message over the last few weeks, uh, I apologize that we weren't able to get to it. Like I said, it could not have been helped, but we are back, baby, when it comes to the hotline. And I know for a fact that we actually have some hotline questions that we are going to uh, pull out and use for this uh, uh, for this podcast. Uh, the first one is, uh, who's it from? We said, uh, they're going to tell us themselves. Oh, they are. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, this is from somebody then let's see what we got. 
Hey, Lexi, it's Andy from Chicago. was curious the other day. I was thinking about the USA's World Cup. And, uh, you know, your quotes about no coach should ever be around for two cycles. So if the USA has a good World Cup and Greg Berhalter is the coach of that, would you keep him around for a second cycle or do you find a new coach? And if so, who would you be looking for? Thanks a lot. See you. Interesting question, Andy, and thank you so much for using that uh, State of the Union podcast hotline at 657-549-2297. Okay, so this is a question that you would ask of any coach going into a World Cup. And yes, you're absolutely right, Andy. I I think it gets stale, and I think it's hard to have coaches for multiple cycles. I recognize that this is kind of a unique situation given how young this team is, and it's almost as if he he has brought them to maturity and has seen all the good, bad, and the ugly as they have come to light and come to form. Having said that, I do think that ultimately Greg Berhalter, and if he was here, I think he would understand the same thing. While you do a lot of work, and he has had multiple moments of success to point to, you're ultimately judged on the World Cup. So I guess, first and foremost, we should say and define what is success at the World Cup. As we know, it's a group that while not easy, is absolutely a group that I think the U.S. can find a way out of, and I'm expecting the U.S. to find a way out of. First game against Wales, second game against uh, England, and third game against Iran. I think that we can beat both Wales and Iran, and you take your chances against uh, England. It's not that Iran and Wales can't beat the U.S., and certainly not that the England can't beat the U.S., but that's the way that I look at it. So, first order of business in terms of the assessment If you were going to keep him on, get out of the group, okay? And even that isn't necessarily reason to keep him on because we've gotten out of the group before. So it's actually nothing new. And you could even argue we've gotten out of more difficult groups in the past. But you get out of your group. And then this is where the pathways are important. We've talked about this, Mossy. I think that the only way that Greg Berhalter continues on is if One, he gets out of the group, and two, he beats either, uh, let's see, so we got Qatar, we have Ecuador, we have Senegal, and I'll put those three, beating those one of those three, because we know that 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 is the group that the U.S. is going to play in a potential round of 16 game. I don't think he necessarily has to beat the Netherlands, which is that other group, because I think the Netherlands are a better team, ultimately, than the U.S. <laughs> Look, it certainly wouldn't hurt, and you would probably sign him up again. So I think that's what has to happen for him to continue on. But I also, there's a part of me that says it really doesn't matter, even if we won the World Cup. That's it. You move on. And you get somebody else in there to take it that next step. Because I think that next step, without qualifying, with this team now being very, very different, and having matured and having changed both physically and mentally, it's a very different proposition that next cycle. So that's what I think he has to do from a U.S. soccer perspective for them to look at him and say, yeah, we're going to give you to 2026. And let's be honest, 2026 is the carrot. That's what everyone wants. And why wouldn't you? That is going to be you know, a seminal moment and a defining type of moment. And whoever is in charge, that's that's the primo job to have going forward. What do you think? 
Let me throw a couple of scenarios okay. at you. Uh, the U.S. performs poorly at the World Cup. Greg Berhalter leaves. You think then there'll definitely be a sentiment for a foreign manager? No, I think a lot of people will talk about Jesse Marsh. I mean, I don't think he's going anywhere. So that's a, so you can talk about a coach, but that coach might not be available. Although Jesse has alluded to it at times. So, yeah, I don't think it necessarily... I don't think that if the U.S. doesn't do well this World Cup, it's because of, you know, whatever. Well, ultimately, it's Greg Berhalter. It's on Greg Berhalter. Not because he's American, just because it didn't happen for him. So I don't think that that precludes going on and having, especially in this day and age, we're producing more and more coaches. And I think more and more coaches of substance that would be able to have, uh, have success. I want Greg Berhalter to do well because he's the coach of the U.S. national team, not necessarily because he's American. doesn't matter who's the coach. I want them to do, I want them to do well. That he's American? Does, do I take extra pride in that? Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question. If uh, <laughs> the U.S. has an excellent World Cup, mm-hmm. quarterfinal, semifinal, something like that, and Greg Berhalter comes out of it, uh, and he is offered the chance to stay on for another cycle, but also some pretty big clubs in Europe uh, come after him. Wh- which way do you think he would go there? I think that he will be coy and talk about opportunities, and unless it's you know coaching, and even a, even an EPL team. There's no security in that. Again, you don't have to qualify. And the end of the road is a World Cup in your own country. That is so enticing. So I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I think he'll, he'll talk about this and that, unless it's just a thing that he can't pass up. I think he takes it with both hands. And, and keep in mind, while I don't think that anybody should be around for two cycles, it's not that he can't do a good job. And it's not that they that the team wouldn't be in good hands, but it would be based on the success that he had in the first cycle. And again, the dynamic will have dramatically changed, even within that dynamic that he orchestrated. You are a very different player at 26 than you are at, in this case, sometimes it's teenagers. And that type of environment might be a very, very different proposition, even for a good coach like, like Greg Berhalter, because they have, it's re- they have the reference. They see what Greg Berhalter is, what he's become, and they're very different. They're no longer young men. They're men. Hey, Mossy and Alexi, this is Andrew from Glen Ellen, Illinois. I had a question about the upcoming U.S. Men's National Team World Cup kits. Um, if the leaks are to be believed... They leave a lot of fans wanting. I think they're pretty disappointing overall. And I was curious, Alexi, having worn one of the most iconic kits in U.S. men's national team history, how do you feel about the upcoming kits? And could you give us a top five of your favorite all-time U.S. men's national team kits? Thanks. All right. Andrew from Illinois. I love it. Um, Yes. And yes, uh, I can give you a top five. But first, let me just talk a little bit about Look, they're going to drop this week, right? Um, and you are going to have the usual <laughs> consternation, especially because there have been leaks. I don't know if they're true or not. I don't have any inside information as to what they're ultimately going to look at. As we said before, no matter what you do, there are going to be people that aren't going to like it. It is very, very rare that jerseys come out and they are universally beloved. And even sometimes... 
it takes time for that to happen. So I'm not saying it, it can't change. However, and this is in general when it comes to U.S. uniforms. We, and when I say we, I mean the United States, we have, you know, a, a, a built-in appearance, all right? We are red, white, and blue. We are stars and stripes. And I think that no matter who it is, whether it's a soccer team or somebody else, we should lean into that. And we should take pride in that. And I think that being big and bold and beautiful, and yeah, at times a little bit arrogant, that's who we are. And our aesthetic should reflect what I feel is the greatest country in the world. And all of that good and, and even bad at times should be reflected in what we, in what we do. So it, it designs itself to a certain extent. Be big, be bold, be red, white, and blue, be stars and stripes, be over the top, but most importantly, be memorable. And if it's not that, doesn't mean the team can't play well. It doesn't mean that they can't sell well. But that's what I want from an American jersey. That's what I want to see. I want to look on that field and go, there is nobody else but the U.S. I see playing out there. And too often, I think we don't have that. And I'll finally final, say this before I give you my five, Mossy. If I find out and it comes to be that not only are we not leaning into that, but we are shying away from being proudly American in our aesthetic and red, white, and blue, and sporting the flag, the stars and stripes, that will sadden me and that will anger me. If the world in which we live in, the time in which we live in, is such that we can't be proud of our red, white, and blue history and our stars and stripes aesthetic, then all is lost, both on the soccer field and off the soccer field. Okay, um, let's see here. You want my top five. I've, I, you know, I've given this a lot of thought. And yes, there are all, we are all over the map when it comes to, that's part of the problem. We're all over the map when it comes to things that we, uh, that we have done. Um, okay, I will go number five. And I wrote this down to make sure I get this. The 1950 homage. Uh, back in 2004, it was a third kit that was done for uh, U.S. Jamaica, I think. And I, I love the history of it. And yes, it's a little bit plain, but it's distinctive. And the crest is just mwah, chef's kiss. And I love, you know, retro types of things. Now, it was a one and done because there was, you know, a situation with, uh, you know, uh, infringements and stuff like that when it comes to the badge. So it, it came and went. If you have one of these congratulations, but I just thought it was, I thought it was inspired. I thought it had a really good backstory. And when I saw it, it made me proud of my country now, but also it made me proud of the history that we have, especially when it comes to the history of the game in America, which sometimes we poo-poo. Uh, okay. Second, or number four would be the 2002 home 
dos a cero. And yes, as I mentioned, things change with time and they marinate over time. And this is, for me, come to be something special. Um, I love a collar on a, on a jersey. I know a lot of people don't like the collar on a jersey. I happen to love a collar on the jersey, and this is one of the few U.S. kits uh, that do have uh, a collar. The red, white, and blue theme isn't as pronounced as I'd like it to be, and so it's not as Americana as I would, I would want, but I still think it's got a, a classic sort of appearance, and you can't take, it, take away the fact that this was the most successful World Cup in men's, uh, in men's soccer history, and this is ultimately what they were wearing then. Okay, we'll go to number three, affectionately known as the Waldo. There, when you saw this on the field, you knew exactly who was playing. And it's not there haven't been stripes and uh, horizontal stripes out there. But for the U.S., this was, this was something that was memorable. When this first came out, you said, damn, all right, now we're talking. This is something big. This is something bold. This is something instantly recognizable. Um, and I, I just want to say, Mossy, I'm trying to describe this as much as I possibly can. For those that are just listening, these are stripes, including your father. Because I remember he said, you, you, you know, when he's listening, sometimes we have things on the wall and people that are just listening and not seeing it, they, they can't always see it. So to Mr. Mossy, this is a red striped type of situation here that we're talking about when we talk about the, uh, the Waldo. Uh, number two, the bomb pops. And for those that can't see it, it is red, white, and blue. Uh, blue, blue is small at the top, then there's a white stripe, and then there's red on the, uh, on the bottom. There is nothing more American and Americana than the actual bomb pop. I love them, and I love what they represent. And so that there was this, uh, this connection to something very American. I mean, the only thing would have been better if it was like a a Slurpee or something like that. But the bomb pop, I'll take it. So that, for me, was number two. I, I bet you a lot of people would, would switch two and three when it comes to the Waldo and the bomb, pack, bomb pop, but I think it resonated with a lot of people. And then we get to number one. And look, it almost should have a separate category because everything that I talked about, everything that I desire, and everything that I want from a jersey is the 1994 home, affectionately known as the denim kit, faux denim, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it is, I mean, I don't think that there has ever been a more inspired type of American jersey, in reg regardless of what sports, of sport you're talking about there. It was stars and stripes, obviously, red, white, and blue, and you knew exactly who was on the field. And that it it has grown into something bigger than what it was even at the time. I think that says a lot about how much, how important it is, how much it resonates, how much it still resonates. And it does warm the cockles of my redheaded American heart that so many in this day and age, when it's so easy to uh, play down and mute America and mute red, white, and blue, that so many, even play, people that weren't even around or even born when this came happened, uh, when this game happened and when we were wearing these, are drawn to this. So number one is denim, 1994. I think that the denim was our 1994 away, if I'm not mistaken. So it is far and away. It's, like I said, it should be a completely different category because it almost, it, it's, it's almost slumming it being with these other four. Anyway, Mossy, you have uh, some comments. 
the picture there for the 94. Yes. That's Thomas Dooley. And help me out. Who's the that other? That would be Clay Coyman. Clay Coyman. Yep. Yeah. Clay Coyman. Uh, outside back for us there. And uh, yeah, I still get questions about the denim jersey. That's how iconic it has now become in American soccer circles. That uh, 2014 away picture, that, that is John Brooks, correct? It looks like it, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, scored the game-winning goal in the U.S.'s last World Cup victory against Ghana in 2014. Graham Zussi with the assist, I but know. but but sadly, John Brooks will not be scoring any goals at this World Cup. Well, you never know. Maybe he's just biding his time and letting other people have some time with the national team here in this camp, and that they're just they're, he's just cool in his jets. And Greg has said, "Listen, you're on the plane. You're a starter for me. You just stay off uh, off the uh, the camp." I gotta say, you know, I'm an old school guy. Mm -hmm. I love number five, the 1950 tribute one. I, that's how Gucci Onyehu is sporting that jersey on our photo. Yep. Uh, I I find that really sharp. It's cool, I isn't it? Like it, yeah. It's really cool. They did a whole thing where they had other attire. I I, I have some old ones where it was as opposed to being off center. They did some things where there was that crest was in the middle. It was just it was really cool because again, we do have a soccer history out there. And you, sometimes you have to work to find it, but it's there. And when you find it, it is gold and it is and it is beautiful and it's worth celebrating. And so I love the fact that they uh, celebrated that. So thank you. Thank you, Andrew from Illinois, for asking us about that. And I hope, well, I, I got to think that this satisfies that question. All right. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. Again, we are back when it comes to our hotline. As you as you saw, we, we took two hotline questions here. Uh, six, five, seven. 549-2297, the State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll close out the show with my one for the room. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. Uh, we've reached the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Mossy, all sorts of brouhaha over the last uh, 24 hours. Uh, you know this guy, Todd Bowley, right? Uh, the new owner of Chelsea, all right? So he's been uh, spouting off there at some different uh, conferences, and he has gotten people's uh, feathers ruffled. You got the quote there? Uh, can you read it to me? Yeah, in a general discussion about English football and him being an American owner and, you know, ideas that he has, he said, uh, ultimately, I hope the Premier League takes a little bit of a lesson from American sports and really starts to figure out why don't we do a tournament with the bottom four sports teams? Why isn't there an all-star game? Mm, interesting. Interesting. Uh, I do have uh, a quote and a response when Jurgen Klopp, you know who that uh, Jurgen Klopp is, uh, coach of uh, Liverpool over there, when he heard in his press conference, uh, that this had been thrown out there by Mr. Bully. He said, uh, oh, uh, when he finds a date for that, he can call me. Does he want to bring the Harlem Globetrotters as well and let them play against a football team? Now, that sounds very dismissive. And it was, if you watch it. However, what was interesting to hear is how the wheels started to spin in his brain as he started to answer the question. And by the end of his answering the question, because he, he, he went on from here, uh, Jurgen Klopp did, he almost said, well, that's, that's an interesting idea. And so I actually think that Klopp's response is much more uh, appropriate, shall we say. Having said that, there were others that were not, <laughs> not, not having any of this, uh, including, including uh, you know the, the Gary Neville guy? Uh, he uh, he used to play, play soccer. Now he's a, uh, what do they call him over there? Uh, pundit. Right, he's a pundit over there. 
He said uh, this morning, I keep saying it, but the quicker we get to the regulator, the better. U.S. investment in English football is a clear and present danger to the pyramid and fabric of the game. They, meaning the Americans and the American investors, just don't get it and think differently. They also don't stop till they get what they want. Um, all right, so where do I start here, Mossy? Uh, this, and, and believe me, this was all over social media, and so it's not just pundits uh, and... <laughs> and the like having a problem. They talked about it in the CBS pregame yes. show. Terry on Reed, Terry Jamie Carragher, all it. fired up. Everybody's it. fired up against it. Um, it was The reaction was not surprising to me in the least, but this knee-jerk dismissal and, like we said, indignation at the mere suggestion of introducing new concepts to the Premier League, as I said, is not surprising, but... I will submit to you that it is much more uh, about the American messenger in this case, Todd Borley, the new owner of Chelsea, than the actual message itself. And I'm not saying that there wouldn't be criticism had somebody else suggested something like this. As a matter of fact, all-star games have been floated in the past. That certainly is not necessarily anything new. But the fact that it came from an American, that's where a lot of <laughs> this... Uh, this anger comes from. And I will say this, the, the protective and kind of nationalist and defensive and, like I said, dismissive and arrogant response by some is not surprising. And if the shoe were on the other foot, yeah, I would probably kind of react the same way. And I am at times incredibly defensive and I stand up against or four, when I feel that I am being, you know, attacked. But this is, this is a little bit ridiculous. Keep in mind, Mossy, that the EPL was created in the image of American sports. The EPL was created in the image of the NFL. Monday Night Football, glitz, glamour, production, all of that kind of stuff was created in the image. There are good things and bad things about American sports. But in this instance, throwing out a possible suggestion, it does not mean that this is the end of the crown. This does not mean that the Americans are coming. And, you know, what is it? Two if by land, one if by sea. Two if by sea, one if by land. Two if by land, one if by sea. This is not the end of days for Gary Neville's uh, EPL or of England, for that matter, to have this type of suggestion. And again, I would probably if, if it happened to me and someone was talking about this, I would probably defend it. However, I will say there is no league more so than Major League Soccer that has adopted and adapted and co-opted, if you will, the international uh, aspects of soccer, you know, with the FCs and the supporters clubs and the scarves and the way that which we, we go about doing it. So we are incredibly open-minded when it comes to our soccer. Would it be different when it comes to the NFL? Yeah, probably. But this is a game that is played all around the world.
And when it, I'll say this, and I'll throw it to you because I know you have thoughts on this. When it comes to actual ownership in the EPL, there is a lot of different people uh, that are owners in the EPL, not just Americans. We're not here to take your soccer, Gary. Okay, We're not here to ruin your country uh, or your culture here. We're here to make it better. And maybe, if you take a step back, there could be some good ideas out there when it comes to things that, uh, that we do, that you can incorporate it and ultimately enjoy it that much more. An all-star game, it's fun. An all-star game is about joy. It's about laughter. Can it make money for either ownership or for a fundraiser or other things? You're damn right. But for people that don't like joy and don't like laughter, then they're going to propose something like this. And to Jurgen Klopp's point, yeah, of course it has to be fit in. And yes, I don't want more games necessarily for players, but it doesn't mean that we can't find ways to do things that are going to progress the sport, that are going to give the fans something new and something interesting. Um, the thing I would say about it, I don't like all-star games, and I do worry that the calendar is too saturated as it is, so I'm against the specific idea he proposed. But generally speaking, the Premier League can't have it both ways. They take great pride in being this global league, foreign owners, foreign players, foreign managers. And, and then you can't turn around and expect everybody to be steeped in English uh, sporting culture. I mean, you have to understand that with these outside influences are, are going to come different ideas. And, you know, and, and by the way, Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola have been criticized in recent years for questioning, why do we play on Boxing Day? And why do we, you know, these English traditions that, that they hold, the English hold near and dear to their heart, that an outsider coming in says, well, this is stupid. You know, it's, the calendar is too cramped. So in, in a manner of speaking, they've sort of encountered a similar dynamic to what Todd Bowley encountered with it in the last couple of days. So, yeah, I mean, my, my dad always jokes with me. He says, the only thing English about the Premier League is the referees, and that's the worst <laughs> thing about it. <laughs> so, you know, you can't have it both ways. I mean, the, the NFL analogy would only truly work if the NFL had, like, 20 foreign owners and all the top coaches were foreign and all the biggest stars were foreign. And then we still tried to be hoity-toity about American sports culture. That, that, would, that would hit me as being ridiculous, too. So I think that's the equivalent of what we see in the and Premier all, League. Look, all, like you said, all the comparisons are happening and the, the, the whataboutisms and the straw mans and all that kind of stuff. So people say, well, what if, what if somebody came over and you know, proposed promotion relegation? Promotion relegation is a very, very different thing and a massive fundamental change that would be proposed to a league, whether it's for Major League Soccer or whether it's for the NFL or something like that, as opposed to doing something like the All-Star Game or having a tournament ultimately to decide the relegation battle going, uh, going forward. So that, that does not fly. Those are not, those are not equivalents when, when it comes to some of the, uh, the questions out there. Having said all of that, I love the discussion. I love what it elicits and the way that it illuminates how sensitive people are to America getting involved in the international game, whether it's players, whether it's coaches, whether it's pundits, whether, whether, it's, uh, uh, whether it's ownership, all of that kind of stuff. It's, I think there's room, there, there's room for everybody. And I, you know, I, like I said, I understand because I, I would feel protective or want to be protective uh, if something like that happened to something that I'm holding on to and I feel it possibly slipping away. It's not slipping away. It's just taking a different form and that's okay. All right. 
Anything else, Mossy? That is it. We've gone a little bit long today, but it's fun. It's fun to talk about this. We hope that you're having fun. Thank you so much if you did last to the end of this one uh, for listening and reviewing and rating and subscribing and doing all the different things you do for uh, the State of the Union uh, now twice a week. Right, Mossy? Man, it's pretty cool. I like it. I like it. Hope people out there uh, there like it. Again, reminder, uh, ask Alexi. Use that hashtag. All the different uh, social media platforms that we have out there. And then, of course, as we mentioned time and time again, our State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297. Have a wonderful weekend of soccer. We'll be back next week with a couple more shows. And until then, and as always, size the difference.